The passage this morning is from Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, but found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this tree, but I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it, then put on manure. And then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. If you're new here to Regeneration, what, what we do here is we study the Bible uh, kind of just through it. And so right now we're in the Gospel of Luke and we're at chapter 13. We kind of do that unless kind of I get a prompting from the Holy Spirit to teach something else. But I, I kind of want to just lay that out before you because if you're new here, if you're not accustomed to what's going on, this is going to seem really out of place because we have the Christmas tree and the poinsettias and the candles and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to be delivering a message about judgment. So, yeah, because we're talking about the parable of the fig tree this evening. And so for any of you who are not familiar with a parable, a parable is a, a simple story that gives you a, a heavenly meaning. It gives you a um, heavenly lesson. So in our parable this evening, uh, it's important to look at the context of the parable. Uh, otherwise, you're going to draw all sorts of different lessons from it, which isn't all that bad sometimes, but it's just not biblical in its correct context. So just to plant that in there as well. And uh, before I jump into this stuff, uh, let me pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Um, we ask that you would work in each person here, that you would open our minds, our hearts, our eyes to the things that you want us to see and feel and change. Um, we ask for a dynamic work to happen. We ask for a transformation in people's lives. And as I deliver this message, God, I, I, I ask that um, your grace would abound. I ask that your patience and kindness and your mercies would abound. That even though the word may be harsh to some, um, that it, the, the message doesn't get lost. And that you are a God of justice. And you, yes, you are a God of judgment. With that, you are also a God of grace and a God of hope and a God of mercy, a God of love. And so I pray, Lord, that your heart comes across. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes you hear in Bible studies, um, I don't know if you've heard this, I've heard this uh, before, um, when, when someone gets there in, into a group and they say, this is what this verse means to me, or this is what this, this chapter means to me. And um, I don't attend every single home group, Bible study, small group that happens here at Regeneration. And maybe you have attended groups that are, are like this, where people just kind of get to interpret however they want to interpret. Now, some people might be interested in how you interpret the Bible and what that verse means to you. But let's not get all caught up in what it means to you, because that's not the primary reason to study the Bible. Right? The meaning and the interpretation is not primarily up to you. It's not up to me. It's not personal. 
We study the Bible to study the Bible. We study what it means. It's not what it means to me. So be careful when you go to these Bible studies that emphasize, you know, what this means to me or what this means to you, rather than simply what it means. It's, and it's not necessarily bad what it means to you, what it means to me, but it's not to be the primary way of interpretation. The Bible says what the Bible says, regardless of what it means to us personally. There are things to take into consideration that are more than just what's read at face value when we open up the book. There are these environmental, historical, geographical, political, cultural factors to consider, and people don't always look into those things before deciding what this means to me. So I've heard this parable taught out of context, which is why I'm bringing this up, because I've heard many teachings on this parable, and sometimes out of context, and some of the lessons I've gathered from it are really good. They're they're good truths, but they're not in the context of what's happening in Luke chapter 13 and Luke chapter 12, and in the context of what's after in Luke chapter 13. And so this goes for all stories in the Bible as well. If we look at them out of context, we can draw all sorts of lessons from them which may contain truths. But there's a significant loss when we study out of context because there's a message Jesus is delivering within this parable that we aren't receiving when we're studying it out of context. Now, how do we know that we're studying within proper context? Well, what's happening in the surrounding verses? And that's what you kind of have to look at. What's, what's happening, happening in the neighboring chapters? What's happening in this particular book of the Bible? Because the Bible speaks for itself. It doesn't need defense from other things. It it speaks for itself. Now, the primary text used here at Regen to help us understand what the Bible is telling us is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. No. It's the Bible, right? It's the Bible itself. That, That is the book that is our primary text. And we use that to explain it. So, there are no cliff notes to the Bible. There's no, like dummies, Bibles, or anything. It's the Bible itself. And when you study the Bible and you find yourself stuck in understanding what's going on, you start taking a look at the surrounding texts. And so in looking at this parable, we need to look at what's happening. What's, what's happened before this parable? Well, Jesus taught about repentance. There were some Galileans who died at Siloam, and there were people who were wondering if those dead Galileans were worse sinners than others because they died in such a tragic way, they died while they were worshiping. And so Jesus tells them, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he says that same exact phrase twice in two verses, verses 3 and verses 5 in chapter 13. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was making repentance really personal, repeating you. Right? So within those two verses, verses 3 and 5, you is repeated six times. All of us are sinners. Every one of us. No one is worse. No one is better. And we all need to personally repent. How often do we think to ourselves, man, my, my brother, my brother really needs to hear this message. Or, you know, my friend really needs to read this. Or my mom needs to repent, which is true. My mom needs to repent. Or my my husband needs to be here. 
and the things we receive, we sometimes think others are in, in, in a desperate need for them, which may be true. That may be true. But the thing is, is that you are the one present. You are here. So be concerned about yourself. You're here. So what does God have for you? As we receive from God, it's not a time to judge others uh, who aren't present with you and who aren't receiving what you're receiving. It's time for you to personally receive and thank God that He has shared with you His patience, His mercy, His kindness, His grace. And the reason why we're here isn't because of our goodness. The reason why those people heard Jesus' teachings while some Galileans died wasn't because they were better people. We all need to repent. We're no better than anyone else. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of two men, verses 10 and 11. And he said, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like others, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now how many of us are like this Pharisee at times? thinking, you know, hey, we're all that, at least I'm not as bad as him, or at least I'm not as bad as her. Paul wrote to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. See, how often are we concerned with others' actions and other people's stuff and junk when we have plenty to work with right here, right, right here? Forgetting that we're just a few feet from the ground from falling, right? We're right here. This is what God said to Cain right before he killed his brother Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. I want you to keep in mind how many times God says you when he's talking to him. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. How did Cain do? I mean, not so good. Right? He didn't do so well. He, he, was, he was so consumed with others and what they were doing. And in his case, his brother, how come his sacrifices are taken, not mine, and all this? He's just all preoccupied with what someone else is doing. You take care of you. You don't have to worry about what someone else is doing. You take care of you. And that's what Jesus is getting down to here. He says, don't get preoccupied wondering why those Galileans died at Siloam. And it wasn't because of their sin. Don't get consumed with what others do or don't do or who's better or who's worse. Take a really good look at yourself. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And after saying that same phrase twice, then he goes into this parable. Verses 6 through 9. And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. The parable of the fig tree is related to repentance and judgment based on context, right? Previous verses, verses 1 through 5 in chapter 13, are about repentance. And so this is in context of that. It's not just a story just plopped down in the middle of Luke's gospel that can mean whatever we want it to mean. 
Jesus taught about judgment. Jesus taught about repentance. You look at chapter 12 and you look at chapter 13. And he used this fig tree as an illustration to drive that lesson home to his listeners. He's just told us to repent. Otherwise, all will will likewise perish. And then he goes into this story. Now, something to keep in mind with this story is that when Jesus told it to people during his time, they understood. They didn't need a whole lot of explanation. It's a little different today, right? When he said this, it's, he's saying this to an agrarian society, so there's not that much explaining to do. For us, a little bit different, so let's just do that a little bit, starting in verse 6. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Now when we think of vineyards, we think of Napa and Sonoma and Livermore and Santa Barbara, and we think of all these nice places, and they're beautiful. When you go to Israel and you look on where, the, where these vineyards are going to be, there's a whole lot of rock. It's not like Napa. You go out there and you're like, wow, this is just nice and beautiful. When you go there, you notice that they have a lot of rock. Incredibly rocky. Rock on top of the soil, rock in the soil, rock deep underneath the soil. And you are doing back-breaking work clearing out a field to plant a vineyard. So once you clear an area, you know how much work you put in because there's no bobcats. This is your back doing your work. This is not commercial caterpillars and things like that. So you know that once you do that back-breaking work and you have this nice field, you better bet that the fruit you plant there is going to bear fruit or the tree or the vineyard or whatever. You know you want it to bear fruit. And so within a vineyard, it wasn't uncommon to see people plant trees there. Planting trees that offered some sort of benefit, some sort of value. So people would plant fig trees and olive trees and palm trees and different things like that. Now in the case of a fig tree, something interesting about the fig tree in the Middle East is that they bear fruit ten months out of the year. And they also have three cycles of crops within that ten months. So a ripened crop would kind of be ready to be picked at the late spring. And so this is the fruit that you would get that's fresh. Anybody love fresh figs? I love fresh figs. They're like the best thing. And this is what you would barter with, and this is what you would sell locally, and this is like the good stuff, right? This is when the sugars are in there, and, and this is the best, best type of stuff. The second crop, the second crop that is yielded within this 10-month period was picked in the late summer. So not as sweet. Not as sweet, but they, they tended to dry this one. They, tried, they dehydrated this one. They dried it, and they used it to eat, and they used it also as an export, for export trade. And then there was this third crop that came in the fall, which was the least value in terms of monetary value, and it also didn't taste all that great compared to the other two crops. But the great thing about this fruit was that it lasted all winter long. So while other crops aren't producing and stuff, you know, this one still hangs around in the less fruitful months and we can eat out of it. So it's there. It's a, it's a good crop. So there are only about two months that the tree is barren. It's April and May, somewhere around there, when the fig tree is fruitless. So the people listening to this parable knew that fig tree cycle within the Middle East, this fig tree that grows there. And a man planting a fig tree in the vineyard was very familiar to them. It's not nothing new. This is... This is what people do. So these people figured that if a man planted a fig tree, it produced fruit for 10 months out of the year, yielding three distinct crops. 
So verses 6 and 7. And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? So you see how this is grabbing their attention to Jesus' listeners? No fruit for three years for a fig tree? That's like, I, I, I can't even figure that out. And so it, it was supposed to yield three crops of fruit for ten months out of the year, and it hasn't produced anything for three years. Now I know some of you might be thinking, well, what if it was like a baby tree? And it's a baby tree and it just hasn't blossomed yet and it hasn't brought forth fruit. So isn't that a little harsh? That if you put a baby tree in there and you didn't give it enough time, that that's kind of mean to cut it down. I would understand that, but the fig tree reaches maturation to produce fruit within three years, which is a key number within this parable. It's supposed to produce fruit by now. No matter when you planted it, no matter what stage of tree you planted it, it's supposed to bear fruit by now. It is supposed to be fruitful by now. And so these trees were considered really valuable. But not when they're not producing fruit. In fact, the fig tree was considered so valuable that it could be a capital offense if you chopped down a tree that yielded fruit. And it didn't even have to be 10 months out of the year, three, three crops. Even if it yielded some, you can be held accountable with a capital offense. In verse 7, he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? A fruitless tree taking up valuable space, taking up valuable resources from the ground. It's just taking up all the nutrients from the ground, robbing everything else around it from anything, and robbing the ground from nutrients, because when I take this up and put something down, it's robbed that nutrient too. Does this sound remotely analogous to people? People who are planted in a church, and they're fruitless. You come every week, you're not transformed. You come every Sunday, you don't repent. Yet you're here, and there isn't any fruit coming from your life, and you take up space, and you take up resource, but not much is given in return. It was a serious crime to chop down a fruit-bearing tree, but it clearly made sense to chop down a barren tree. And then there's this intervention in verses 8 and 9. And he answered him, Sir... Let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is common practice. Nothing out of the ordinary here. Give it another chance. Give it another chance by providing more support for it to yield fruit. Give it a new surrounding. Check to see what's, what's around it. Are there some rocks under there that are blocking the roots to getting down to a water source? And, and provide fresh new nutrients and, and see what happens. If the same thing happens, then, yeah, it's the tree, it's not the soil, go ahead and cut it down. But if it yields fruit, then the changes that we've made to it, great. It's yielding fruit. So what do we have here before us in our story? We have this fruitless, barren tree. It's produced nothing in the time frame that would tell us that it would bear fruit or not. Three-year period, fig tree, it's supposed to produce fruit by now. Secondly, we have a, a vine dresser. A vine dresser who wants to give another chance to this tree for it to bear fruit, who believes that 
fruit will come out of that tree if we make some changes there. Someone who is patient and, and, and believes that that tree can bear fruit, a fig tree, they know it's supposed to bear fruit within three years, and if it doesn't, the likelihood of producing that fruit is small. But this vine dresser has hope, and he's hoping for this tree to bear fruit, and much like some of us. right? Well, some of us have been the vine dresser to people around us for a long time. People we've been praying for and encouraging and nurturing for years, but, but still haven't come to a relationship with Jesus. I shared with whoever was here last Sunday night about a family friend of mine who's been a family friend for over three decades. And who has a daughter who's been a friend of mine also. And, and she has been a vine dresser for her mother for many, many years. And she finally, last Sunday night, got to see fruit. Her mother came to follow Jesus last week after many, many years of digging and manuring. See, it's, it's not always bad to give our parents manure. Right? It, I give my parents manure all the time, especially when I was a teenager. But, you know, I still do that. And I just have to remember that when my kids give me manure, I just have to take and say, like, they're just making me more fruitful. But lastly, there's this judgment. Cut it down. See, there's going to be a time when the tree gets cut down for not producing fruit. And it's not this everlasting existence of being a barren tree, being a fruitless tree. There comes a time when a fruitless tree gets cut down. So this is a parable of judgment. This is also a parable of hope. The judgment of God is coming. We know that from previous studies. You look at chapter 12, you know that. The parable is within the context of judgment. This is also a parable of hope, a parable of grace, a parable of mercy, kindness, repentance, that if you aren't repentant now, you're given another opportunity. But there will be a time of judgment. The vine dresser can give you a certain amount of period, but then there's going to be this judgment. Now, looking back at the Gospel of Luke, Luke ties together really well the picture of repentance, the picture of judgment, and he uses trees and fruit a lot. And let's start out by looking at chapter 3 of Luke, verses 7 through 9. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, this is John the Baptist, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. John the Baptist was saying, Hey, don't rely on your heritage to save you. Because your parents are Christians, or because your grandfather was a pastor, or because your brother is a leader in the evangelical church, or whatever, that relationship is not yours. Your relationship with God is with just you and Him personally, not someone else having it for you. So you're not baptized into it, you're not prayed into it, this is between you and God. And th this is how it continues in verse 8. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, see how it's made personal, every tree, it's not like a, a big old forest. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now isn't Jesus' message of repentance in Luke chapter 13 so similar to what John the Baptist shared in Luke chapter 3? 
And so the message is consistent throughout the Bible. We are all sinners. We need to repent. There is judgment and we need a Savior. It's throughout the Bible. Right now we're just taking a look at the Gospel of Luke. Let's jump to Luke chapter 6. Verses 43 and 44 where Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Not anybody else. It's between you and God. Each tree. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What does the fruit that you produce identify you as? A follower of Jesus or not? See, the the fruit doesn't lie. The fruit is consistent with who you really are, what you are really producing, not who you are claiming to be. You look at a tree and you're like, plum tree, plum tree, plum tree, pop comes an apple. That is not a plum tree. That's an apple tree. And there's no fooling. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. You are not. You're not. Or you are. It's obvious. right? And then we jump into Luke chapter 8. Jesus taught a parable about four different soils in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Which soil are you? The seed is the word of God. What kind of fruit are you bearing What kind of soil are you? I brought up context at the beginning of the message and how important it is that we interpret the Bible with the Bible. And this parable needs to be interpreted in the context of its surrounding verses, in the context of the Gospel of Luke, which is why we looked at Luke chapters 3, 6, and 8, and in the context of the Bible. So let's take a look at the Old Testament for a a moment. Isaiah chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now... O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between men and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. 
There were people listening to Jesus who knew Isaiah chapter 5. There were people in the crowd that knew this. There were Pharisees in the crowd who knew the word of God really well. And as Jesus was teaching this parable of the fig tree, what do you think was going through their head as Jesus was teaching them? I think the lines of personal repentance were being clearly drawn. You, not being a son of Abraham like John the Baptist said, you, like Jesus said in verses 3 and 5 in Luke chapter 13, need to repent. And Jesus spoke directly to those in front of him. Those people were mostly Jews who had all the benefits of having the prophets like Isaiah and John the Baptist preaching to them about repentance. They had the word of God before them. They had the word of God telling them about judgment, illustrations using trees and fruit and vineyards and all these kind of things. John records for us in John chapter 1 verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jews were planted in the Lord's vineyard. They were given all they needed to bear fruit. They were given every sign pointing them to Jesus as their Messiah. But instead of heeding the prophets, what did they do? They killed them. They killed them. Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. So how does this apply to us? As Paul wrote to the Romans, the gospel was to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, which is us. Gentiles. Right? Where do you stand with all that has been given to you? You are a valuable fig tree planted in the choices of land, in a vineyard being nurtured by vine dressers. What fruit are you producing? Luke 13 speaks directly to you. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. No one is a worse sinner. But the fig tree can only be fruitless for so long before it gets cut down. Jesus was born for you. And we're going to celebrate Christmas in a couple of weeks. But he was born to die. Jesus was born for you. Jesus died for you on Calvary. Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven for you. And we're not left alone as we have been blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are given His Word and we are given a line of disciples who have gone before us as followers of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're not following Jesus right now, what more do you need to come to repentance? How much longer until you are chopped down? Now maybe some of you are fruitless and it's a time of digging and putting manure on you. And hopefully we get to some of you before you get chopped down. We all deserve justice. We all deserve death. Because the wages of sin is death, as Paul wrote in Romans. 
We all deserve that as justice. But the mercy of God is present, and we haven't faced justice yet. Yet. Now, some of us are prepared to face justice because we have an advocate in Jesus who will be present with us when we physically die and we're before God, and you will not be found guilty. And maybe there are some of you who don't have that relationship with Jesus where when you stand before God, you will be found guilty. See, this is not about religion. This is not about coming to church. This is about a relationship with Jesus, God transforming your heart. You being regenerated as a new creation. You take a look at Paul. Paul was an extremely religious man, an incredibly legalistic Pharisee. And he used to persecute Christians. He's the one that gave the green light to kill Stephen, the first Christian martyr. What happened? He met Jesus. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what he wrote, and this this kind of will give you an idea of how much he changed. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. This is Paul who used to judge people writing this. Right? Don't judge the Galileans at Siloam is what Jesus is saying. And here Paul is saying, like, don't judge people around you. This is kind of, you can tell that he's been transformed. You can tell he's been regenerated. Verse 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There will be a time when the grace period is up. And then there's judgment. No, I tell you, But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. For those who are not repentant within their time of grace, there will be a time of judgment upon them. And again, this is not about religion. This is not about going to church. It's not about how you were raised in a Christian home with a great Christian heritage. And some of us are really fortunate to have that. I I was fortunate to have that. My father was a Christian before I was born, and I was brought up in the church, and I used to go to Sunday school classes, and I loved my Sunday school teacher. She was so old, and I was the only kid in that whole class, and, and we used to play this game afterwards, like you press the thing, and there was a dice, and it would pop up, and you'd move. I, I don't remember. I loved her. I wish I could thank her. I'm going to wait till I get to heaven, because I'm sure she's dead by now. If she's not, she's like the oldest person alive. But I had this type of upbringing, and I was this fig tree planted in this vineyard. And some of us are like that too. Some of us are fig trees planted in a vineyard. We have a lot of advantages. You're in this church, a Bible-believing church that teaches the Bible every week. You have a lot of advantages. And we were given a place to spiritually grow with each other in community. But how many of us were planted as fig trees, but this relationship with Jesus has turned into just a barren religion? Just a fruitless thing. It's just kind of, we're here. 
but there's no fruit. Any of you in a position like this? There's no fruit. You've been planted in this vineyard, but you're, you're fruitless. Are you bearing fruit? Is the fig tree Jesus speaks about in this parable you? Because he's making it really personal back in verses 3 and 5. See, we were were given this place to spiritually grow, but how many people were planted as fig trees, but their relationship with Jesus is is just fruitless? It's, It's barren. Are you just taking up space and you're just taking up resources without giving anything in return? Do do you call yourself a Christian, but really it's just in name only. Perhaps you come here every week and and you put yourself under the teaching of the Bible, but you're fruitless and you're just kind of taking up space and you're negatively impacting those people around you. Your boyfriend, girlfriend knows how you are outside of church. Your parents kind of know how you are. Your brothers and sisters They know how you are. So as you claim to be a Christian, people naturally look for fruit. They naturally look for the Christian fruit. And sometimes we're not producing that. We're producing something else. Your inconsistencies between what you claim and who you are and what you're producing are going to be revealed. The people you live with, your housemates, who you're claiming that you're a Christian to, know if you read the Bible or not. Because if that thing's just collecting dust there, you're not. I guess you could do it other ways, like your iPhone or something. I hope that's the case. Now, we welcome everyone to our church. Everyone is welcome to our church. Everyone. But there will come a time when transformation in you will need to happen, because if it doesn't, you're a barren fig tree. You're fruitless, taking up space, to the point where being here is just not beneficial for you, and it's not beneficial to anyone else around you. Now, sometimes churches plug fruitless people into places of leadership. Now, I bring this up because we're going to be having elder nominations really soon. Um, In March, we would have um, some new elders. And many churches choose their elders based off of what they've done in the marketplace. What a successful business they've had, or how much money they have, or how much influence they have. Um, You know, all these different types of things that they're hoping that that person can bring into the church. If you are on this nomination committee, which I think some of you are in here, please don't look at any of that stuff. Please just look at if they are spiritually fruitful people. That's it. If they are fruitless, off to the side, nicely. If they're fruitful, pray about it. Take a look at them. Observe that fruit. But let's look for spiritually fruitful people. So how do we tell the difference between those who bear fruit and those who are fruitless? Well, ultimately, it's God who does that because only He can really see what's in a person's heart. But there are some things that we can do, and the first thing to do is to look in the mirror. You take a look at your own fruitfulness before you're taking a look at someone else's. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you spiritually fruitful? When you're looking at those elders, if you're on that nomination committee, do they have the fruit of the Spirit? 
Another thing, you can't be fruitful without Jesus. John wrote in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Are you fruitful or fruitless? If you're fruitless, what do you want to do about it? See, digging is happening around you. You're here. Digging is happening around you. You're here, so manure is being piled on. Prayer is available to you here. Small groups are available to you here. There are a ton of really cool people here that would love to dig around you and pile manure on you too. We are currently living in a time of mercy and grace. right? We have this period. But those who don't know Jesus, you're not pardoned from justice. Everyone will face justice. God is gracious, God is kind, God is patient, but there will be a time of justice when the fruitless will be cut down. Now as a church, let's put forth some effort or more effort in being more fruitful. Right? More fruitful in our own life and putting more effort into helping others be more fruitful. Let's intercede for others. Let's be the vine dresser for people. Because that's what the vine dresser did. He steps in, he intercedes, and he says, Sir... Let it alone this year also. I want Jesus to come back really badly. I also have people in my life that I want to see know the Lord before He does because otherwise they're cut down. I want to see my mom come to the Lord. So I pray for His... God, please, give me some more time. Let me work on this. Let me dig around this. Let me let me pile some manure. Let me, let me work on this. How are we interceding for those who are in danger of being cut down? Do we care that there are people around us who are fruitless and they're barren? And it's more than just praying. Praying's great. You can't do anything without prayer. But it's time to get those prayers out. Get those prayers into action. Right, to get that faith and all that accumulation of Bible knowledge out. And it's time to talk to people. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. See, it's time to get dirty. It's time to dig. It's time to put on manure. It's time to get dirty and stinky into the lives of people that you care about that you want to intercede for, that you want to take that stand with that vineyard owner and say, can I have a little bit more time? Let me, let me work on this. And it's really difficult to get into the lives of people if you don't communicate with them. When you're interceding for those people, you need to communicate with them and you need to tell them what the gospel is. They will come to faith by hearing and hearing 
by the word of God. And you need to dig. You need to get into the trenches. You need to find out what's happening in their life. What's holding you back? What kind of healing do you need? What kind of service do you need? Who are you willing to get really stinky for and deal with the manure so that they get to a fruitful place? Some people have a lot of junk that they got to do. There's a lot of rocks in there that you got to pull out. There's a lot of stuff, and then you got to repair all that stuff. So let's be the vine dresser, interceding, hoping, digging, manuring. And you know, this is kind of morbid for me to close. But some people ask me what I do for my job. What's your job? What do you do? I get you ready to die. That's my job. I'm preparing you for death. I want to be a pastor? Like, really? That's one of my missions as a pastor, is to prepare you for death. Are you ready? And if you're not, I want to talk with you. And I want to dig. And I want to throw a whole lot of manure on you. I, I want to hope for you. And my hope is that you don't die fruitless. See, because none of us knows when we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know if we're even going to make it to Christmas. Really. Especially if you live in Oakland, right? I mean, you don't know. So, the vine dresser asked for a year. But we really don't even know if we have that much time. I'm going to get a little bit personal with you. I have a 64-year-old father-in-law who has cancer. And he was just diagnosed a a few months ago, just a few short months ago, and things are not looking good for him at all. And he is not a believer. And so he, he asked us to come over for Christmas this year because he's telling us this might be his last Christmas. And I pray for him and I intercede for him. I love him. I care for him. This is one of the people that I'm going to ask the Lord, God, please, give me some time. Give me a year. Let, let, me, let me work on it. Let, let me dig. Let me, let, me, let me just find out what's, what's down there. And, and, and then let me throw some manure on there. Let me do something. Let me, let me try to help with this. Don't, don't cut him down yet. And I'm going to keep doing that until he accepts Jesus or he's cut down. Those are the only two options. Because we're all going to die. And it seems like he's a little closer to it than we are right now. He's really close to it. And I did that with his father. His father, I was in hospice. I visited him every day before he died. Telling him about Jesus. He got cut down. Unless he did it when he went. And I just didn't notice, but on his deathbed, but I was there till the very end. Stubborn. Fruitless tree. We're all going to die. But are we ready? Are you ready right now? Are you bearing fruit? You don't know when your time is going to come. So with my father-in-law, that's my mission. I want to prepare him to die. He's without the chemo, which they've taken him off of. They've given him a few months. 
because they say that he's not healthy enough to go through that chemo treatment. So as of now, he only has a few months. It's time for us to get busy with the people that we love. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the strength to be as the vine dresser in this parable. Lord, we all know who is dear to our heart. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the urgency to intercede for them. To step in for them, to plead for them before you, to give us more time to work on them. Father, I pray for anyone here this evening that doesn't know you. That if they are fruitless or have no concept of what is being talked about because they don't even know who this Christianity thing is, Jesus thing is all about. I pray, Lord, for your grace to abound in them. That your Holy Spirit would speak to them, that they would come to faith, Lord. That you would use our church to support them. In Jesus' name.